0: This forum is part of the City Club's Criminal Justice Series, sponsored by the Shar and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. We're grateful for their generous support. Production and distribution of City Club forums on Ideastream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated.
1: How's that? All right. All right. You ready?
2: Testing, one, two, three. All right.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. It's Friday, October 22nd, and I'm Mark Namek, a reporter at WKYC Channel 3. I will be your moderator for today's forum, which is part of the Criminal Justice Series in partnership with the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. In just eleven days, if my math is correct, Clevelanders will have a chance to vote on issue 24, a proposed amendment to the city's charter. It would shift oversight of the police department, including policy and discipline of officers, to a civilian-led board and commission. It has become a fault line, not only among some citizen activists and police officials, but between the two candidates for mayor. Backers of issue 24, including candidate Justin Bibb, say the amendment is needed to improve transparency and accountability within the police department, which in turn could improve trust between officers and residents and make the city safer. Opponents, including candidate Council President Kevin Kelly, say the changes give too much discretion to civilians and not trained safety officials which will undermine the city's ability to effectively and efficiently manage the department. They say it will set off costly legal challenges and fuel early police retirements. Now that's a pretty big divide and that's where the City Club of Cleveland comes in today. We hope to break down some of the major parts of issue 24 and examine how they impact the operations of the police department affect the current federal oversight of the department and what it means for residents. Today's discussion is about policy not politics and now I will introduce the folks joining me on stage. we will start to my immediate left, Sabod Chandra, founding and managing partner of the Chandra Law Firm. Sabod is the principal drafter of Issue 24. He is a former City of Cleveland Law Director In private practice, he's handled numerous civil rights cases and has represented the mother and estate of Tamir Rice, the 12-year-old boy shot and killed by Cleveland police in 2014. He's also represented the city workers and police officers whose civil rights have been violated. And he serves on the Ohio Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Next to him is Barbara Langhenry, She is the city of Cleveland law director, longest serving as earlier noted. She has represented the city of Cleveland as a lawyer in the law department since 1990. She was the chief counsel from 2006 through 2011, when she was named law director. Prior to working for the city, Barbara worked in private practice as a litigator. She is a graduate of Case Western Reserve University. Um, Also next to Barbara, is Prentice Haney. He is co-executive director at the Ohio organizing campaign. He is a veteran community organizer and strategist who worked, whose work has been featured in The Guardian on MSNBC and The Daily Beast. He is a 2018 graduate of the Rockwood Leadership Institute and the 2019 Transforming Justice Fellow with the Ohio Transformation Fund. Prentice earned his Bachelor of Arts in Urban Affairs at Wright State University outside of Dayton. And finally, uh, we go to Johnny Hamm, a Cleveland captain and resident of the city. Johnny is supervisor in multiple police districts and a police academy instructor. He's a certified law enforcement executive by the Ohio Law Enforcement Foundation and an Ohio Police Officer Training Academy certified instructor. He has a master's degree in justice administration, a bachelor's degree in political science and criminal justice. I know those were long-winded, but I think it's important to give that deep background because so much of those backgrounds intersect with the issue here today. So with that, we are going to, uh, to jump in and uh, get, in, get into the uh, outlining of what issue 24 does. And I want to start with Sabod, who again, one of the principal drafters if you could outline for us the main thrust of this, what it does, um, and we will circle back to the interpretation um, on how this affects law, but right now just set the table for us and as briefly as possible and we'll move along. There is no timer on the answers but if we get too long-winded I'll pull out that hammer again. (laughs) Thank you Mark. Putting it very simply, Issue 24,
2: the police reform initiative sponsored by Citizens for Safer Cleveland, is about ensuring greater police accountability. It is about ensuring that civilian values prevail, that civilians have the opportunity to manage our division of police and ensure that officers are held accountable when they don't color inside the lines, when they violate the Constitution, when they abuse their authority, police officers are entrusted with badges and guns and that when they are doing their jobs makes us safer but when they're abusing their authority that doesn't make us safer so what we've done with issue 24 what the ballot initiative does is simply add an additional layer of civilian authority between the police and the arbitration process for issues of discipline so that if it turns out that the chief, as has happened many times, if the chief of police doesn't discipline officers who need to be disciplined, including officers who've engaged in racist conduct, and this has happened, where the chief gives them a slap on the wrist and does nothing about it. Now you have civilians who say, no, 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 no. That's not how we're gonna do business in the city of Cleveland. That is the primary thrust of issue 24. There have been the naysayers and the critics are all trying to figure out ways to scare the population into thinking it's gonna somehow do do all kinds of crazy things. It's all nonsense. And what it is, is a group of people who've been used to being able to get away with anything they want, finally being told, no, there's going to be active supervision and we're gonna make sure that the values of the division of police, in the way police officers engage with the public, Reflect the values of the civilian population.
1: All right. Thank you, Sabote. Uh, Barbara your job is is definitely translating the charter and its influence on city operations for the mayor and others at City Hall uh, If you could walk us through the major changes to that charter that this would bring out um, and we know uh, Really that the main thing is a, a police commission and a uh, citizens review board, which would become all, uh, above the the uh, police chief and safety directors. So go ahead.
3: Thank you, Mark. Um, I think we can all agree that police accountability is important, but it's also important to see what vehicle, the details of this vehicle that's being proposed. And those are important details. And I think we need to understand that the charter provision um, addresses two different boards. The Police Review Board and its staff, the Office of Professional um, uh, Services, they, they um, Are currently in existence and have been part of the Charter since 1988 and this Charter expands their role a little bit more and provides um, other kinds of authority for them. It creates brand new to our Charter a Community Police Commission which has not existed in the Charter before. The consent decree was signed in May of 2015 and under the consent decree a Community Police Commission was created. And that commission is advisory. And that's the the sole role is to advise the police chief and the police on community issues and to be a formal conduit to the community. Certainly, the police have contact with the community in many other ways and they spend time going to community meetings and block club meetings. But this was a more formal vehicle to bring the views of the community to The police and especially to have a role in advising on changes that were outlined in the consent decree. The charter provision makes the Community Police Commission permanent and it gives them authority that goes well beyond advising and well beyond just being the final authority on discipline. It also makes them the final authority on policies within the police division. On recruiting and hiring. Currently, under the charter, recruiting and hiring is the province of the Civil Service Commission. And the Civil Service Commission is, is five voters in the city of Cleveland, and it's a nonpartisan board. There can be no more than two members from any political party. Um, they are the ones who establish tests for all, all of the employees in the city, they establish the job duties for all of the employees in the city. This would give the Community Police Commission final authority over those things, taking it away from a civil service commission. They're also the final authority on policies of the police and how the police um, behave. Generally the chief issues what are called general police orders on the conduct of police and like any boss, the police is given that the chief is given that authority under the direction of the mayor and the safety director. This takes that policy making role away from the chief, the mayor and the safety director and gives it to this police commission. In addition to that, it mandates a budget for both the police commission and the police review board and that again is something very different from the current charter. On the current charter, under the current charter, the mayor does what's called a mayor's estimate and it's a very detailed document with requirements on Expected expenditures justification for those expenditures a comparison to two years prior um, And then the council has very public meetings on the Budgeting of the city's resources and if it makes changes it actually has to specifically show what those changes were to the mayor's estimate this Eliminates that step for both the police commission and the police review we'll board come, the we'll commission is given a a $1 million budget. In addition to that, they are given um, 0.5 percent of whatever the division of police's budget is, which last year was $218 million so that would be $1.09 million to give as grants. And generally, uh, in addition to that, it gives their executive director um, authority to enter into contracts and spend that money. Generally, in the current charter, if someone in the city wants to spend money above $50,000, they're required to go to council and get authority to do that, and they have to justify why they want that money in a very public hearing. And that there is no mention in the charter provision of needing additional authority either to give those grants or to spend money for the commission itself. Um, They also, I'm sorry. Yep. Go ahead, ahead. Barbara, I
1: just want to keep you moving because we're gonna circle back on a couple of those issues you just mentioned in there. Yeah, it also
3: mandates the composition of both the commission and the police review board, certain members of, of those boards. For example, the current police review board is required to have a member from each police district. That's gone and we're now mandated to have two lawyers who've either prosecuted police officers or represented families in civil rights cases against police officers. For the police commission itself, it's um, mandated there be two members who represent civil rights organizations and then there's some other factors of types of members that are required to be on that, on that board. Um, there's also um, a provision that if anyone fails to cooperate with the police commission who is within the city, they may be subject to discipline or censure, or if they interfere. And there's no definition of what fails to cooperate means or what interfere means. Now there's been discussion that this board could fire the mayor, I wanna take that off the table. That's not true, the mayor is an elected official, the mayor would not be able to be removed by this board. So that just, (laughs) I don't want that to be a part of this discussion. In addition to that, if either the police review board or the commission, and remember we're talking about two boards, Um, don't like the advice that the law department is given because they feel like it's in conflict with what they want to do they're allowed to hire their own lawyers at the law department's um, budget so it's really kind of an increase in their own budget um, and they can hire their own lawyers the current charter gives the law director the authority to represent all the departments um, and entities in the city thank you those are the major changes yeah and
1: again we're going to circle back to Sabote in a moment to address a couple of those but I want to Uh, Again, keep working backwards so that we will talk to Prentice now uh, Who's more on the ground and to talk to us a bit about How this came to be in Cleveland and you are from Cincinnati. So explain that role and um, a little bit about the the money and why that matters and doesn't matter in in this, but how did we get here to this stage today?
4: Yes so um... You know, we know that there's been a number of families who unfortunately have lost their loved ones to police-involved shootings. Um, you know, even 20 years ago, there's folks like uh, Brenda Brickerstaff has lost her brother Craig Bickerstaff 20 years ago, who has been fighting to figure out how to actually bring real accountability in the city. And so the families who have been working for, for years in a number of different efforts, working through, you know, through... Um, their work in in advocacy, trying to change policies. When the consent decree came down in 2015, and we know that's not the first consent decree that comes to the city, they worked in good faith to make sure that they can see a a real change in the city. But what they realized pretty soon after that was that there was not much that they could do differently because there was no teeth behind the changes that came under the consent decree, including the current Cleveland Police Commission. And so those families, and specifically, Um, Brenda Bickerstaff, Samaria Rice, who lost Tamir Rice in 2014, um, um, Alicia Kirkman, um, who lost her son to a police involved shooting in 2007, and then Latanya Goldsby, who's a cousin of Tamir Rice, said it: enough is enough, and it's time for us to actually figure out a real path for real accountability and also a real partnership with the uh, Department of Public Safety to make sure that we can move forward in that way. So it's actually been a multi-year effort, and the most serious um, alignment of this group started two years ago, when they started to have conversations about what are the sort of fault lines? What are the things that are falling apart in the current construction of the consent decree, the current current um, structure of the Cleveland Police Commission? What are the ways in which accountability is not actually being achieved? And because these women, have been working for so long, they've been talking to people around the nation, in Seattle, in San Diego, and all across the nation, figuring out what are the ways in which accountability is not met? And how do we actually craft a policy that meets the needs of what the families and what the communities and the residents of Cleveland want to see happen? And so they decided that this was the right path forward. And because these women have relationships across the state of Ohio, across the nation, we know like, for example, we know Ms. Samaria Rice has relationships nationally. We know that Alicia Kirkman is a part of um, national ending police brutality groups. They called in the reinforcements to support the families and the citizens of Cleveland to make sure that we can um, draft, draft this policy. So when Sabol came in as the author of this, as someone I think is actually really beautiful because Sabo was the law director during the time that uh, Craig uh, Bickerstaff was killed, having a family member who had to go through this process and is working together to figure out a policy on how the city and families and residents can work together is actually how democracy works. And so when they crafted this policy, we intentionally looked for all the ways in which accountability is not met. And we made sure that we were able to meet those um, places. So when it comes to the resources, there are all sorts of supporters of these families in Cleveland, across the state, and across the nation. And so those families have asked folks to show up for them because so often those families have not been heard. They have not had people shown up and fight for those families. And we know that most Clevelands actually want to play a role in public safety. And so right now, Issue 24 is a combination of those families um, residents of Cleveland, community activists coming together saying that it is time for us to actually have real accountability and a real partnership around public safety so we can make Cleveland safer for everyone.
1: Thank you for that. Uh, that's helpful uh, background. Some stuff I didn't know and appreciate the connection. Uh, Johnny, let's talk now on that final level on the ground as a police officer and as a captain. Uh, so you see this on a lot of, on a lot of ways what is your view of this and specifically how that potential change of uh, chain of command is under this policy? Where right now it's the chief and safety director, now it could be a civilian uh, led commission. What's your, what's your view on this and where do you stand?
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna add something to what you talked about in my bio. I, I also was part of the 2018 Charter Review Commission in which I went over the entire charter, you know, front to back. We, we offered recommendations for changes for that. Um, I also spent four and a half years writing policy for the Cleveland Division of Police. Uh, so I, I got ex- a lot of experience with our policy and how policy should be written. Um, and also, I am a Cleveland resident. I am up here speaking as a Cleveland resident and not speaking on behalf of the city of Cleveland or the Division of Police. I need to make that clear. Um, but as for when I first saw this initiative, which it, it probably about April or time, I started, started getting wind of it and started looking up the information. And when finally seeing the actual document, um, as a policy writer, it, it is confusing. Um, what it looked like was somebody took a lot of ideas, some of them good ideas. Now, I, I don't want to say it's all bad. Um, and I hope we get back to that discussion about you know what can work in the future and, and what we may want to look at differently, um, but there, there were some issues in there of consistency in language. Um, at, so, at some one time, there's a reference to the safety director and the executive director of our executive head of, head of the police force. They're the same person, but they're referenced in, in different sections as being almost two separate entities, and they're not. Uh, there's also references to termination and dismissal and censure. Um, it doesn't let anyone know what that means. Is a dismissal of somebody different than a termination? Is a dismissal something where, like I could be dismissed from my captain position, but I'm not terminated from the police force? And there's a lot of questions in in this document. Um,
1: In broad strokes though, uh, Johnny, how do you see this uh, affecting the operations of the Cleveland police, specifically command
0: structure? How I see it is, um, and I'm actually gonna quote uh, Mr. Chandra here, um, issue 24 is, is a Trojan horse that has police accountability and oversight written over top of it. Uh, and there, during a safety committee meeting uh, uh, over issue 24 uh, a week or week and a half ago, uh, Mr. Chandra stated, what we are doing here is a fundamental structural change in government. That's what's inside the Trojan horse. So police accountability, everybody's on board for that. Everybody loves it, everybody says, hey, let's get on board. And the Cleveland police officer right now is the most accountable person, the, the most accountable entity in the city of Cleveland that works for the, for the government. There are so many checks and balances and, and oversight. Right now, it's never happened in the history before. And it, there, there is a level of comfort and consistency to know that, especially when I was a policy writer, that I would write something and it would go through the chain of command and come back to us and go back and come back to us till we would come up with the final product that the chief would sign. Um, I don't know now because of this charter amendment, now do we, is the CPC, a civilian commission going to be coming in and overseeing all of that now? Will they sit at that table and tell us what our traffic stop policy should be? How can we have that happen if it's in violation of what state law says? or? there's just too many too many questions and, and too many issues that um, draws up concerns. And right now, if you don't trust the mayor to pick an appropriate safety director and police chief, then why do you expect the mayor and council to select an appropriate CPC commission that would I- ensure the, the perfect fairness overall? It's either you trust them or you don't.
1: Thank you. Uh, Sabod. let's have you jump in on a couple of issues raised by the, the city here. One is on uh, on policy. Uh, who, you know, d- does this leave too much to your commission that would be created under this? And about some of these issues in language that they think is too broad or or not, uh, is gonna create a lot more problems than it solves?
2: Well, to be clear, it's not my commission. It would be the people's commission mm-hmm. appointed by the mayor and appointed by the council members and accountable to them. What what it will do, if, if you think about how government actually works in Cleveland, and in any large community, the mayor, as the chief executive, doesn't have the time to micromanage the mistakes that may be occurring in any of the departments. And the issue that we have in Cleveland is that as a result of not having that time, the mayor hasn't had a group of people that he can entrust to oversee the safety director and the police chief when they commit blunders. And they've been committing a lot of blunders. I was looking at the statistics for the Civilian Police Review Board recommendations over the last three years, and there are dozens of times, dozens of times, that the chief has rejected the recommendations of the Civilian Police Review Board to discipline officers. We have no accountability, we have no open forum, we have no open meetings, we have no basis for knowing why that's happening, and the victims, the complainants of police misconduct have no voice in that process whatsoever. It's a one-sided presentation from the officers to the chief. So what this does is say, let's talk about those things in the open. So issues related to policy, for example, will be discussed in the open. What I expect as a practical matter is that the chief will continue to develop policies with uh, his or her assistance, the safety director will look at those, the mayor's office if they wanna weigh in will look at those, and then we will have an open forum discussion in the, the Community Police Commission so that the public can weigh in, and so the commission members can weigh in. And if it turns out that there's a concern that some proposed change by the commission violates state law, The division of police will be able to say that. The law director will be able to say that. Well, listen, uh, that's a wonderful idea, but that's not going to work. So this parade of horribles that's being laid out, that somehow, oh, this is so scary. All we are doing is saying, let's have civilian input into the policies and procedures. What's so horrible about that? I'll tell you what's so horrible about that. When people have been used to functioning without any real meaningful oversight, that's terrifying for them. But I think for the good officers who want to be compliant with the Constitution and who want to have good civilian police relations, this will be a welcome change because it's a structural change in government that then facilitates the dialogue that has been lacking in this city for far too long.
1: Who should write, on a practical matter, the police chase policy, which has been controversial and been under a lot of public and internal uh, scrutiny over whether or not we're using it enough and leaving people off. Was that ultimately gonna fall to the, uh, the police commission created under this amendment?
2: Well, what I would expect is that it would be a collaborative endeavor. And so, uh, what I would expect- But who has
1: the final say on that? The
2: final say on that will be the commission, okay? The final say in saying, okay, this policy is okay, this policy is not okay, will be the commission as a sort of policy overseeing uh, authority. But ultimately, there will be so much collaboration and so much input from the safety forces, from the law director, uh, from the outside community, from civil rights advocacy organizations, that at the end of the day, we're going to have better policy because we are going to have mm-hmm. ensured that dialogue occurs, as opposed to what happens now, which is by fiat, here's the policy, deal with it, live with it, or die by it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've had in the city of Cleveland.
1: Johnny, on the on the point raised uh, by Sabode on, on police discipline and the chief ignoring recommendations, um, I know you're not the chief, but... You know the process. When the chief says uh, disagrees with that commission, what, what is going into that? Is it a just purely on his decision?
0: Yes, uh, but there's, there's also a usually a review of, of policy and what the officer did or did not do in that situation. Uh, in, in many instances, uh, an officer that was engaged in something that, that came up to the chief for, for discipline, uh, there's a nuance to it. Uh, police work in, in the gray area. Uh, There's the hard red lines of what police shall not do, period, end of story. Those are easy to follow. There's also this large gray area, which are situationally based. So an officer can do this in this situation, they cannot do that in this situation. Uh, So when those are played out, sometimes a a civilian just looking at it from the outside doesn't understand how those situations play out, both by state law, case law, and uh, uh, things like that. I also want to address, he mentioned that the civilians don't have a say. When I was in policy, I sat at the table with the NAACP and ACLU and 12 other groups when we hashed out what our new camera policy was going to be. It was tough, it was long, but they were at the table, and we argued, and we argued a lot. It was every week that we met. And finally, we came out with a camera policy that we all agreed this was the best product of what we could come up with. That is in place now, that is done now. Recommendations made by the CPC have already been implemented in the search and seizure policies, in the bias policing policies, in the LGBTQ transgender policies. All that input has been put in there. So th- those voices are being heard. Um, and that that's the benefit of the CPC and why I would say that the CPC should should remain. I think it's a great idea. Thank
1: you. We'll come back to Barbara. And if you could also, in this answer, address uh, something additional, then we'll come to Sabote, and that is on the due process. I know uh, Safety Director Howard says he felt that this process would really throw due process out the window, but go ahead and address. I think you wanted to get in on some other aspects of policy. I wanted
3: to address an issue involving the current, when the Chief does not agree with the recommendations that come from the um, Police Review Board. The chief makes that decision. Maybe it's contrary to the, the matrix of discipline. There are many reasons for that to be made. But the current charter does provide that if the police review board disagrees with the chief's um, ultimate decision, they may ask the safety director to review that again. So there is a process. It's not just that the chief rejects it and that's the end of the story. The police review board does have a chance to present its side of the story to the safety director for a second review, and then um, as far as um, due, pro- I mean, I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, there's no provisions in the charter itself for how a hearing for the police officer would be held, but we are required under the Constitution of the United States to follow due process. So right. I don't know that that's that that doesn't seem to be uh, in a discussion that's worth having right. Right And now. I
1: know you've, you've addressed that already, Sabodin, saying yeah. that it's, so, it doesn't eliminate the that. Officers of the the yeah. officers will be heard. The
2: officers will be heard. Due process under our Constitution is notice and an opportunity to be heard. And the officers are going to continue to be heard and be able to make their case if they believe they didn't violate policy or they didn't engage in misconduct. And ultimately there will be an arbitration process that follows because they're entitled to that. So you know, all these efforts to try to say that somehow somebody's going to do something by fiat are just simply
1: incorrect. Um, Prentice, uh, back to you on this issue of citizens' input, since we are talking about Mm -hmm. it. and You, again, made your case earlier. You don't believe there's been enough input. But there are processes, uh, you know, existing committees now where citizens can meet with, with the police department. Do you not see that happening here or even elsewhere around the country?
4: Yeah, I think the, the main thing that you two brought up that is actually true is that in a, in a democracy we need checks and balances. We do have a level of checks and balances. However, the main groups that are being left out are citizens and families. When citizens and families can only weigh in on their opinion but they don't have a real authority, that, that, that we've seen is proven through all the different reforms that have not happened that they do not, we do not actually get to the best solution. And I'm glad that you said that the CPC is actually a really great body, and that you've had a process with NAACP and ACLU to figure out policies that work well together. To me, that feels complimentary. We're just saying that let's make that a permanent body. We don't want that to go away after the consent decree goes goes away. We wanna make it a permanent body, and we want to make sure that those voices who are you're talking to that's making policy better have an actual authority to make those policies better. I think this only becomes controversial when, there are, when people do want to do things in the dark, when you don't wanna talk about controversial hard topics. Imagine a CPC when you have three police officers, police, police association members. You have folks who have actually dealt with police misconduct, you have family members, people who are in marginalized communities who have experienced policing and distrust, and then folks who actually have experienced good policing having a public debate on the hardest subjects. That's how we actually achieve The best policies and we know that because that's that is exactly how our city government is set up but right now there is something broken there is something broken that is not allowing the best solutions to show up and i think that we can all agree that we want to make sure that that happens and this uh, issue 24 is that path forward and we know last thing i'll say and we know that this is a better policy because we have seen the fault lines in cleveland we have talked to folks in Seattle, we've talked to other places that have also had issues, how things actually fall apart when it's actually implemented. And we have taken mm-hmm. those lessons and brought them here. I don't think anyone is scared of citizens being involved, but I think some folks, certain folks are scared of accountability and it being public.
1: All right, thank you. And we got a lot more issues to get to, but at this point, we're gonna invite our audience in. Um, and if uh, we run short on questions, we'll, we'll get to some more that I have, and I know we have a lot to say. But today at the City Club, You're know you listening to a forum about issue 24, a proposed charter amendment on the ballot this November and what it could mean for City Hall operations and residents. We're about to begin the Q&A with our audience. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our live stream or the radio broadcast on 90.3 IdeaStream Public Media. If you'd like to tweet a question, please do it at the City Club. You can also text those questions to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And our staff will work it into the program the best they can. Let's have our first question now. we have someone at the podium, go ahead.
0: Thank you so much for your faithful and judicious work on this. I am Reverend Dr. Chris Davies, an ordained minister and national leader in the United Church of Christ and a resident of Ward 15 living blocks away from where Tamir Rice was shot nearly seven years ago. I'm here with Serge. Children in my neighborhood must not leave their homes and fear with fear of the people who are supposed to be in place to protect them. And families in my neighborhood and yours deserve the full process of justice for what has occurred. So my print, my question is about what you're hearing on the ground and for what are the What is the feedback that you are hearing from folks as you are in conversations that has surprised you the most?
4: What I'm hearing is honestly a sigh of relief. I mean, we have been in unprecedented times in our country and in Cleveland. And the citizens have felt like they cannot see real change happen. But when we go out and we knock doors and we talk to voters who live in the city of Cleveland about this accountability measure, there's like, wow, I can make that happen here. I can make sure that my kid comes home safely by showing up with my vote. And I think that the, like, I think the citizens of Cleveland want to have an active role in public safety. And they've waited around for politicians to make that happen, and it has not happened. It hasn't happened. And so they're saying, we're not gonna wait anymore. This is democracy at work. And when we talk about it to citizens, they're ready to show up. They're very excited to show up for this. And we know that change is hard. We know that no policy is perfect. But we know that we have to start somewhere. And the citizens of Cleveland are ready for this. And they're ready to fight for it, and to work through it, and make it better.
1: Thank you, Prentice. Do we have another question?
5: Hi there. I'm Anna Maria, and I'm a resident of Cleveland. Uh, My question to you is, how are you going to ensure that the
0: voices that are going to be um, involved in all of these great group discussions is people that actually want betterment for Cleveland and not just revenge for themselves? I'd I'd like to quote Samira Rice, September 10th of this year. Too many pig cops in our community. They are undertrained. they are simple-minded, they are imposter, they are scared. Please know your rights. If you're a black pig cop, you are on the wrong side of life. Your black heart is revoked forever, dummies. You know I don't sugarcoat nothing, F all you pigs. So this is somebody that we're okay. wanting to have a voice?
1: All right. Well, I'm gonna, I appreciate your, your input. I'm not, I can't verify that quote. Um, I have certainly a lot of emotion on the issue. But I think the heart of the question is getting at who is going to be appointed to that commission and how they represent, uh, who they represent, and that that's been part of the discussion that we've had from both sides. Um, sabo tell us briefly what is outlined in this amendment about who gets on it, and that does kind of get at part of this question.
2: The, the mayor we'll will have
1: Barbara. The mayor
2: will appoint the majority of the members of the commission, and the. Uh, Council will appoint a minority of the members of the commission. There will also be police organizational representatives on the commission. So, you know, one would hope and expect that the mayor and the council will exercise good judgment, and one would also hope that the police organizations, like the Black Shield, the CPPA, the FOP, will also be responsible in their choices that they make as to who's going to serve on the commission. Um, as, as. Uh, Director Lang-Henry mentioned earlier there are a number of different categories created for different slots on the Commission and some of them are mix and match you Can have one thing or the other so for example we want to see people who uh, have dealt with mental health issues um, You know in their professional life um, be a part of this so that the kinds of issues we've seen in policing where um, rather than have a, a mental health strategy in dealing with citizenry, we've had a. I think you're a, referring to the use of force. Situation, yeah. So, maybe. so th- we're, what we're trying to do is create a mix of perspectives on the commission that is there to try to ensure that we have good, responsible, fair outcomes in the development of policy and also in any sort of oversight regarding discipline. Now, as a practical matter, I don't expect that you're gonna see this commission address most issues of discipline. I think that what we will see is once the police chief and the safety director know that there are civilians who are overseeing them, I think we will start to see them realign their decision-making to reflect the civilian population. A quick example of that, and I want to go into this in detail a little bit later, if I can. Is the example of of Young Juan Ortiz, a 16-year-old boy with Down syndrome, who was attacked by officers, and there were the six witnesses who swore under oath that the ra- the officers were yelling racial represent represents him in that case? I did yeah and and the family received a two hundred fifty thousand dollar settlement for that incident but the officers the witnesses said they yelled "You're a bunch of Mexican wetbacks go back to your own country if you can't speak English what did the police chief do? six years later he waited six years he gave him a slap on the wrist for quote unquote unprofessional language and mark this is important because captain ham suggested somehow that it requires some expertise to be able to implement policy on this. I would respectfully suggest that most people in Cleveland recognize that if you're a racist cop, and you've engaged in racist conduct like that, and the evidence is there that you've done so, you should be fired. We don't need special expertise by the police to know that, gee, you shouldn't be fired for that. And so what this, what this uh, initiative does is define racist conduct and say that officers who engage in racist conduct, that, that the presumption is that they should be fired. So I think that what we're looking for is a rebalancing of civilian values versus the police culture. We want the police to be effective, but we want to make sure that they're being accountable and responsive to the values of the civilian community.
1: Uh, We'll go to Barbara, and then we'll go to to Johnny on
2: that quickly. Sure.
3: I just want to point out, in the Ortiz case, there was a question of fact over what was said at the scene. And Mm -hmm. just (laughs) to point that out, that was never Mm -hmm. determined um, as a fact. But um, going further... And there were other witnesses, about. suppose. Um, going further, on the composition of the CPC, you're absolutely right, there are constrictions come. As I mentioned earlier, two people have to be, um, uh, I'm sorry, two members uh, must represent community organizations focused on civil rights. And then at least one person, um, a mix of issues um, uh, presented to those who are limited English speakers, homeless, with mental health or substance abuse disorders, those who have been directly impacted by police violence or be a family member of a person killed by the police, those who have been incarcerated and exonerated where police were involved in the wrongful conviction or incarceration, gun violence survivors or a family member of a person killed by gun violence, an attorney with experience representing victims of police misconduct or criminally prosecuting police misconduct, and there are three police Police union representatives, I want to note that the non-police union representatives may only be removed after charges of misfeasance, nonfeasance, etc. And a hearing, Um, the police members may be removed by a
0: majority vote of the commission itself.
1: Uh, Johnny, quickly uh, address... Um, uh, Just
0: the the mention of racism being defined in it, it is not. Racism is not defined in issue 24 as the standard that an officer will be held to.
1: But if you could also just to follow up uh, and finish up on this whole point, but uh, Sabo brings up that we don't necessarily need to be a police officer or have that background to be on this commission. In your experience with your background, why do you think it's important to have that representation or for you to be the type of person that makes that decision?
0: Every year we have to go through training that updates us on current case law and, and policy uh, best practices across the country. The civilian members of this commission are not required to do all of that training. We gotta go through set training just to become a police officer to begin with uh, in relation to what we can and cannot do. Uh, and then our policies actually can restrict us further than what, which ours actually do, restrict us much further than what the, the actual law would let us do. Um, and that, that's a choice by the city of Cleveland.
1: Thank you. Let's go to another question.
0: Hi, I'm a resident of Cleveland's Ward 3. In the past week in the news, we've heard some people talk about the cost if voters decide to pass issue 24. What is the cost to not passing this initiative, whether it's financial or human, to our safety? What is the cost of not passing this?
1: We'll start with Prentice on that.
4: Yeah, so we we already know that there's been $47 million in settlements um, because of police misconduct in, in this city. And so there's already an enormous cost to the taxpayers because we don't have real accountability here. And when we're talking about the cost, the, the, the cost um, is not just monetary, it's a cost in trust with police in the community. This particular Initiative 24, is about rebuilding that trust. But in, in any relationship, any successful relationship, you have to have accountability in it. We have to know that when wrongdoing happens that we can take action. But wrongdoing only happens some of the times. The rest of the time is about partnership and making sure that public safety is the number one priority in this city. And so that is the thing we're trying to address. Stop that $47 million of settlements, stop continuing that, but also create space for real trust to be rebuilt in this community and the citizens are ready for that.
1: Um, Johnny, on this point of cost, we've heard a lot both from the candidates in the debate and others that we're going to see police officers flee the department as a result of this amendment. And yes, we'll come back to that. Um, right now we're down almost 150 officers. Is there a cost of losing uh, men, if, men and women if this passes?
0: Yes, and, and, and it's proven by the Republican National Convention, as crazy as that sounds to some people. Um, When the Republican National Convention came into Cleveland, uh, there was a lot of extra training we had to go through. Um, A a lot of information was provided about all the horrors that are going to happen with all the protests. And you know what? A lot of officers that had their 25 years in decided they're just going to pull the plug, or at the first sign of a problem, pulled the plug during the RNC. And it's because they've already done their 25 years. They've already put, gave their sweat, blood, and tears for this city, they just didn't want to be caught up in what was potentially going to be a crazy situation. So they just pulled the plug and left. And I guess that's going to be what the, the fear is now, is right now we have 240, 250, of which I'm one of them, that has already served 25 years and could leave at any time. Um, in addition to that, that number, there's also some that have served in the military or served in other police agencies or with the city of Cleveland that we don't know about. That, so that number might even be significantly higher. They could at any time just pull the plug and leave.
1: But is and it because they, they don't like the idea of the Civilian Review Board being over them? Why, why is it, what is it that drives them out?
0: Because there's no defined process. It, there's a lot of like, um, what he said a lot is, I expect. The primary author of issue 24 says, I expect it to do this, I expect it to do that. Officers, listen, we're, we're, we're not trusting people to begin with because we deal with people lying to us all the time. So when somebody says, I expect this to happen or trust me, this is what's going to be or that would never happen, we're skeptical. Okay.
1: Briefly, Sabote, and then we'll go to Barbara well, and then I, we'll get the, another
2: question. This idea that officers will flee if we have police reform, to me, it reminds me of the scene in Blazing Saddles where the sheriff holds a gun to his own neck and says, stop or I'll shoot to extricate himself from a situation where the townsfolk are coming after him, it is nonsense. I mean, if there are officers who are uh, at a position where they can retire and collect their pensions and they wanna do so, they'll do so. Okay, the fact that there is civilian oversight now of the disciplinary process, that an individual officer would think, gosh, this means that if I commit misconduct and I go up the chain, I'll have to go up over the chief and therefore I should quit now, it's just preposterous. And I will tell you, that this, it is so important, and it should be so important to the citizenry that the opposition is raising this kind of nonsense, because what they're doing is they're threatening you. They're saying to you, we're all going to disappear, and you're going to live in chaos, and you won't have safety forces if you dare, if you dare have greater police accountability in Cleveland. What I would say is, if there is any individual officer that would literally resign or retire because we have greater accountability in Cleveland, you're exactly the kind of officer we don't want. Need, uh, we don't even want to serve. Good riddance, and let's bring in the next generation of police officers who are committed to constitutional policing and strong police-community relations.
1: Barbara, on the issue of costs, how do you see it?
3: Yes. Um, well, there's a lot to unpack here, but. As far as $47 million in settlement, I've heard people throw that out as evidence of why the consent decree isn't successful, and I do want to clarify that there have been very few cases settled that have arisen out of events that have occurred after 2015, Um, and that's an important thing to note. Um, We do have fewer lawsuits. Um, The trend line
1: is... Exactly, and there are some cases paying out now that were triggered prior to the two thousand fifteen. Most of the cases, I can only think of a handful. On (laughs) the face of it, could be a little bit. Exactly, it's a
3: misleading number. And then on the and 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 I I guess I have a little bit of a different view. I I don't know that it's an extremist abode that only officers who are afraid of being held accountable for their own bad behavior are going to flee. I do think there's a dimension of human nature where if you feel like, you know, you're gonna be embarrassed publicly, you're gonna be shamed, even if you're just coming in and doing your job and someone else perceives it as wrong, I think that's stress, a lot of people say, I don't wanna work under that kind of stress. That doesn't mean that those folks wouldn't be good officers. That doesn't mean that those folks are going to be out there committing civil rights violations. And I think we need mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, that that is a dimension of human nature. Thank you for it's, all weighing I in I said thing
4: on process, though? Uh, very
3: quickly. Really quickly. You Thank you. I, I've, I I've not said
4: much about, about process because you all have brought it up mm-hmm. multiple times. I'm actually glad we're talking about it. Like, what are these procedures and processes going to be? That actually is decided by folks like the law director and city council and the mayor. Like All those questions about how this is actually implemented is going to take the people we elect next. That is their job to do that. And so it's not the job of the Constitution to lay out every procedure and process for that to happen. And I know that there's brilliant people like Barbara here and the next mayor and the next city council who are going to figure out those processes with citizens. Giant.
0: The the issue where he brought up about uh, discipline and officers fearing discipline, it's not discipline, it's fear of uh, a civilian control over the police. And that includes policy and and a lot of other areas other than discipline. So it's more than that. Um, But also, they, they keep bringing up the accountability. There's no accountability, no accountability. And I mentioned earlier, Cleveland police officers are the most accountable entity in the city of Cleveland. Every one of them wears a body camera. If they do not turn that body camera on during an assignment or do not turn it on fast enough or do not keep it on long enough, they are disciplined one day. That's $400 for a police officer for not hitting a button on his chest fast enough or turning it off too soon. And on top of that, there are GPSs on every car. We have phones in the cars now that have GPSs. Everything that an officer does is scrutinized over and over and over again. And recently our our discipline has gone almost through the roof. Uh, Anyone can look it up. Um, Do a public records request for the uh, divisional notices related to discipline in the division of police, and you will see everything that spells out. It's public record. So it is being done. There is accountability. So, the thought that there is no accountability or that there's less, there's a lot more than there's ever been.
1: Thank you. Uh, next question. Uh,
5: <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, my name is Gordon Friedman. I am on the police commission. I am the chairman of the search and seizure work group, which includes members of Cleveland State Law School experts in criminal procedure, Case Western Reserve. Our work group also includes members of uh, Black Shield and the FOP. Uh, It also includes citizens from the NAACP and the ACLU. We have made recommendations to the city regarding search and seizure, stop and frisk, Mirandizing in the role of juveniles who are confronted by the police. The majority of our recommendations to the city and we have had a dialogue in the past with the city, but the majority of our recommendations have been rejected. So when, when, it's not to say the city didn't listen to us, they did, I give them that, but the majority of our recommendations by people who, who are expert in the area have been rejected by the city, including the inspector general, <clears throat> the former inspector general who's now the sheriff of the county Uh, wrote an outstanding recommendations as it relates to vehicle pursuits. And I don't know where that sits at the moment, but my guess is it's collecting dust. Uh, Well, and
2: and don't forget that the commission Ends mm-hmm. once the consent decree expires, and the city council did nothing to try to institutionalize the commission, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why we need this yeah. charter amendment I to know. ensure yeah. the commission continues. Yeah, all um, right. th- there,
1: yeah I'm going to let Barbara have uh, some response. Um, I know there wasn't a question there; there was a, a, a statement on on his involvement, and he had direct involvement. But Barbara, go ahead and address yeah. the idea that the city is ignoring all of these uh, yeah, recommendations. I,
3: I, I didn't say. I didn't say um,
1: not following up
3: okay It and, and I don't know the nature of the exact ones that the city did not accept uh, um, accept but I do want to clarify too when folks say sit there's no citizen input and there's these broad statements um, Gordon just showed there is citizen input and as far as accountability of the final decision makers the citizens actually have a say in that and it's at the election mm-hmm. box that they vote the mayor and the members of City Council mm-hmm. into office and As far as the commission itself expiring and council not doing anything, right now under the consent decree, it is the monitor's role that expired after five years, if not continued year after year. The consent decree itself does not expire until the city is two years in full and final compliance with the things that are put in place. One year for search and seizures, two years for everything else. So we are not near the end of the consent decree. We do not know what the council may or may not do as it gets near the end of the consent decree.
1: Thank you. And for those that do want to find a little bit more about this, I would encourage them to go to the city of Cleveland's YouTube channel where they can watch the safety committee hearing that was recently held at which safety director Howard and others responded to some of these, these issues. And I, there's a lot, there's a 20 minute review of this uh, by Barbara. Sabode speaks to a number of the issues we didn't get to, so make that uh, YouTube channel trend right now. Uh, all right, so today at the City Club, you've been listening to Examining Issue 24, part of our criminal justice series. And that brings us to the end of the forum. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, members, and good afternoon.
0: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on Ideastream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated.